I'm Toby Kincaid. Let's be honest. Big oil runs the world. Now, our civilization is, by all measure, remarkable. I mean, look at what we can do. That would have been unthinkable to anyone throughout history. Let's take someone, say you had a time machine, and you could bring anyone from history at any time into our age. What would be their reaction? Well, they would be floored, wouldn't they? I mean, you can live underwater and have a new heart and engineer genes. We can fly in the air. We can travel great distances in hours. This would have been unimaginable. Even a few years ago, the notion of a smartphone was discredited by so-called experts, you know? So the idea that you could talk into a box and talk in real time to someone on another continent is, uh, well, remarkable. Choose any word you like. It's beyond belief. So it's amazing that in our reality, in our human civilization, we can achieve what have been undreamed uh, throughout deep time. Now imagine our visitor from history is here in our modern present time, and he asks, or she asks, hey, how do you power this world? Well, actually, it's uh, holes in the ground surrounded by men with guns, and we all duke it out, and uh, we have this market. They'd probably be staggered by that, Uh, depending on from what period of history you brought this person from. Uh, the fact that we're still burning coal and spewing out tremendous amounts of toxicity and pollution would probably be startling. But, uh, you know, in this series, we've been talking about the pioneers of all of the various energy interests a century ago. And we're kind of setting the stage for the modern civilization, the kind of the quagmire that we're in, and the tremendous danger that the way in which we are industrially operating our civilization is threatening the great biology of our earth, the soils, the air, the water. With toxins, that mean that the food that you eat, the the air you breathe, and the water you drink uh, may do you in. So, a hundred years ago, uh, before World War I, just before World War I, in the few decades that preceded that, there was a tremendous opportunity. And we've, we've spoken about Machaut and Ericsson and Aeneas, who looked at solar energy and realized if you could concentrate solar energy, you could create power densities that can drive steam engines. And indeed, they did. I mean, Aeneas, he was pumping 1,400 gallons a minute, as we saw in the last episode. So, quite an extraordinary accomplishment. But in this period between 1850 and up to World War I, the whole world opened up in in all kinds of of ways. For example, uh, another pioneer in solar went a different direction than... uh, than the concentration of solar energy. They went for kind of a passive solar energy and even used something like a hot box. But there was a great pioneer in Paris, uh, Georges Tellier. And Tellier was really kind of the father of refrigeration. 
And, and what he did is he pioneered the use of, of fluids and materials that would evaporate at very low temperatures so that when you use them as he did in early heat pumps, the kind of the first refrigeration, he was responsible for that. The first mechanically refrigerated ship from France to uh, Buenos Aires in Argentina uh, transporting uh, beef, refrigerated beef. So this is one of the pioneers that transformed the, the modern world in bringing the, the notion of refrigeration. Uh, and everyone knows what that means for not only medicines and vaccines, but just food around the world, the general standard of living affected by this guy, Tellier. Well, Tellier, as with the other pioneers, he kind of turned his focus to solar energy. And he did so as the other pioneers, because he saw it as a logical power supply for the needs of man, whatever they may be. And in the colonies in Africa or in the Caribbean or in Indonesia, where solar energy was readily abundant, uh, there was a tremendous opportunity. And so what Tellier did is he went a different direction. Uh, he went towards low-temperature uh, solar water pumps and engines. And what I mean by low temperature is that what he would do is he would take two big plates of iron and kind of form them so there's little channels. And when you rivet them together, they formed kind of a pipe. And what he would do was circulate a, a working fluid that would evaporate at a very low temperature. And this kind of built on his knowledge of refrigeration. So in his refrigerator, what he first did is he took ammonia and, uh, you know, ammonia hydrate, well, actually, if you use that form of ammonia, will uh, vaporize at minus 14 degrees Fahrenheit. So if you just took ammonia, normal ammonia, and mix it with water, you heat it up and it becomes a vapor and the ammonia would separate. And then you would kind of take that ammonia and condense it, allow it to relax, give it some heat so that it would become liquid. And then you'd introduce it to an area you wanted to cool down. And when you did so, it would take the heat from the food container that you want to cool down. It would heat up that ammonia, and that ammonia would suck that heat up and become vapor. And so he would take that and then put it through a coil, which had some uh, in a tank of water, for example, and that would cool back down into a liquid to be, reheat to be reheated by his plates and repeated. And this is very much the process that he would use in his solar water pump. So Tellier was, uh, was realizing that you didn't have to use water, that the water boils at 212 degrees Fahrenheit, and it takes a lot of energy to boil water, and particularly in the phase change of water liquid to water as steam. So Tellier went to different materials. He would use uh, sulfur dioxide, for example, and that kind of noxious stuff would uh, vaporize at around 14 degrees Fahrenheit. So it was a very useful fluid for moving heat and performing work. So what George Tellier produced, one of his great machines, was a, was a tremendous water pump. And this was in the 1880s. And what he did is he'd have his big plates, they'd get hot, and they'd transfer that heat to that internal uh, ammonia that he would be circulating. It'd get hot and then it would start expanding and it put a pressure of 40 pounds per square inch. Okay, so what he would do with that is he created kind of a spherical chamber filled with water and had access to a water source with a little escape pipe. 
And what he put in the spherical chamber was a diaphragm or kind of a bladder. And what would happen is he would, that ammonia would get hot, become vapor, want to expand, push into that bladder, and that diaphragm would push down on the water inside this chamber. And since the, it takes the path of least resistance, that little escape pipe is where it would shoot out like a jet. So what was really clever then is he would have a little escape pipe for that bladder. And as the ammonia would go be pushed through that pipe, it would begin to be forced through a tube that went into a bucket of water. And that cooled it back down into liquid. And then just in a closed loop, he'd expose that liquid to his heating up boilers, to his, his hot plates. And uh, voila, he had this kind of internal working system that sprayed a lot of water. Now, why is that important? Well, you have to realize, you know, of course, in the 1880s, let's say you're a farmer and your life depended on the, the produce that you grew and you went to a lot of labor and work to, to make your garden operate. And let's say you have a well. Well, how do you water your fields? You know, you got to do it the old-fashioned way. You got to draw that water, put it in a, a pail, and carry it out there and sprinkle it on the on the plants. That's a lot of work. So Tellier could have this thirty-five foot spray jet of water, which would allow you to actually be able to uh, not so much in irrigation, but you could you could spray the amount of water you wanted on the on the plants that you wanted to to irrigate. So it was very very clever. And this technology, he thought, would change the world. And, and it would have. So in the 1890s, he, he wrote a, a great book. Um, well, he called it the, the Peaceful Conquest of Africa with the Sun. <laughs> I don't speak French uh, to be able to tell you its title in French or to pronounce it properly. Um, but he saw, uh, he may use the word conquest, but the idea is, he saw a great power supply for all the people of the world to grow all the food they would need with this assistance. Now, we've gone through Machot, now who we went with concentrators like Aeneas and Erickson, and then here we have Tellier kind of taking this low temperature approach. Well, in the 1892, there were two engineers that came together, two American engineers, who were uh, Wilsey and Boyle. And Wilsey and Boyle were kind of from uh, Illinois, I believe, but they decided to form the Wilsey Sun Power Company in St. Louis, Missouri in 1904. Now, from 1892 to 1904, what Wilsey and Boyle did is they looked, as everyone else in the serious engineering, at all of the literature. They looked at the concentrators of Machot and Erickson and Aeneas who are they've heard about, but really it was Erickson and Machot that they really would, would have been most aware of. And they also were aware of Tellier. And they decided to take a combination of innovations. They're going to borrow from Tellier with the big iron plates. But they realized, boy, those plates would be really expensive. So instead of that, let's replace the plates with hot boxes. Now, a hot box is just a wooden box with two plates of glass at the top, wooden sides. It's usually insulated on the sides and the bottom with hay. And then they usually use a black tar paper on the inside. Now, and you put that in the sun, whatever is in the box is going to get very, very hot. So what Wilsey and, and Boyle do 
is they say, hey, instead of having these big metal plates, we're going to use the hot boxes. And instead of circulating our kind of low temperature working fluid all the way out into the solar collector, you know, it's kind of nasty material and it would take a lot of it. Let's not do that. Let's just use simple water in our hot boxes. And we can achieve temperatures of 150 degrees Fahrenheit. So that's what they did. And they built their first full, kind of full-scale power plant in uh, St. Louis, Missouri. Well, they had such a great success that they decided, we're going to go out to the Mojave Desert and we're going to set up a facility in one of the sunniest places in the world. <laughs> and that was Needles, California. So here they are in the Mojave. They set up in Needles and they start building power plant. They, they use this hot box concept. They've isolated the solar collector from this power block where you're going to circulate the kind of nasty uh, sulfur dioxide fluid. But so how this worked is they had these pipes with their sulfur dioxide and they take the water from the solar collecting field and take that hot water and pour it over those pipes. The pipes would get hot, that would vaporize the sulfur dioxide inside, the, the vapor would create a pressure and they would run a steam engine. And they had really quite a great success with this. They had a much lower cost than Tellier could ever achieve. You didn't need so much iron. And you had a higher performance in temperature. And because you used very little of the, of the uh, sulfur dioxide, it was much, much easier to handle. So now we're about 1904, 1905. And these two engineers uh, have really kind of achieved something quite remarkable. And then they went further. They said, look, one of the big bugaboos about solar energy has been, yeah, well, what happens when the sun goes down or it's cloudy? Well, so it's been the dream of all of these solar pioneers to have a 24-hour operation. And so what we'll see and Boyle's figured out is, you know, we're just going to take a big tank, we're going to insulate it and bury it. We'll use the hot water as we are, but everything excess during the day, we're going to put in a big tank. And then at night, we're going to close the valve to the solar collector field, and we're going to open the valve to this tank over the, uh, the pipes that have the, the sulfur dioxide. And lo and behold, it worked. So they were beginning, they were the first two engineers to really demonstrate a 24-hour solar operation, a solar power plant that could produce, at the, in their fourth version, I think they got the 15 horsepower. So this was quite an extraordinary venture in Needles, California, demonstrating to the parched Southwest how you can have all the water you want. A remarkable accomplishment. So here we are now in 1904, uh, just after Kitty Hawk. We have Aeneas that you saw with the concentrators doing 1,400 gallons a minute in pumping water. And now you have Wilsey and Boyle in Needles, California, uh, achieving a similar power output uh, with a solar collecting field that has no toxicity and no moving parts. Mm -hmm.